and she gives homage. She says she's been influenced by the female MCs, but she's also been influenced by a certain uh, genre of music that many of us love, but never had the guts to put it as a part of our music. And that's pop culture. We grew up looking at MTV. I know Take On Me. I know Dress You Up In My Love. I know, no, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine. You're my mommy, Mickey. Oh, oh, hey, Mickey. <laughs> Nicki Minaj had the guts, the balls, to take that 80s pop music and mesh it with the hip-hop of today. But I wanted to experiment. My whole career has been just like... Just a, almost just like a playing field for me to try new things. I never put a limit on myself. And I don't like when, especially black women, put a limit on what they can do. You should be able to try whatever the hell you want to try, as long as you keep in your integrity. Got me a little <coughs> a Corona cut, you know what I'm saying? I'm out here, you know, looking real, looking real good, looking real right, getting real smooth, you know what I'm saying? I just feel so amazing. Keep your man in the house. Keep your man in the house. Keep your man in the house. Shit, hide your wife too. Keep your kids though. Keep them. I don't got no use for them, but yo man, yo man, you know, I might have to come through. You know what I'm saying? I might have to move with the cut and the, you know? I might. I'm feeling real, real good. I'm feeling real juicy right now. I'm feeling real saucy. I'm feeling real Alfredo. I'm feeling real marinara, no sugar. I'm feeling real, real pesto. Heavy on the pine nuts. Like, heavy pine nuts. I'm feeling real, real juicy, real, you know, red Kool-Aid. I want 10 for 2. Don't don't come here and buy only four packs for a dollar. I want ten for two. I want both reds. I want the tropical red, the wherever the fruit punch was, and the cherry. I want Domino sugar. I don't want the associated Pathmark Fruit Town brand. No generic. I want Domino's. All right. Sprinkle some Sprite in there. Sprinkle some diabetes, some insulin resistance in there, and I'm feeling, that's what I'm feeling like, just juicy, just morbid, just sorrow. And that's what we on. This podcast is going to be that. This episode is going to be me and just my sauciness. That's what, that's what, that's what we're giving. We're giving that. Um, I'm clearly on some motherfucking bullshit this episode, and I don't mean to make fun of diabetes and, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't mean to make fun of that, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, and Corona's real. That's why I don't tell jokes, because I hurt people's feelings. Um, I'm feeling real just, get up, shoo, 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 Just good. Big wheels keep on tight. Just that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling great. And, you know, that's just what, that's what we do. Yeah, I did have to get a haircut, and it's funny because, like, whole shit is how I ended up getting a haircut. Like, I really wasn't out here trying to get a haircut. 
But then I was walking by, right, and I saw this guy who I've known, I've seen him around for at least a decade, like, and he's always looked good and he still looks good and it's fine, whatever. And he had on some powder blue pants and no drawers, so I just saw a dick, right? And I was like, when I saw the dick, I was like, do I need a haircut? You know, maybe. Like, Corona, yeah, but what if you turned slowly on a chair, real slow, and just grazed it? Is it worth it? So I went in there and was like, yo, what's good? Y'all take appointments, whatever. Um, Started doing that, and then he gave me his card. And, you know, I didn't get to graze a dick, but he did give me a little cut. I do feel good. He did mess up my chin, but whatever. I, you know, I don't believe in painting, like, in my face or in my facial hair, so we're just going to let it rock. Shout out to being dark-skinned. And um, that's what we on. That is what we on. So I started this episode with... With two Nikki quotes, and it's been a while. I'm not actually sure I ever did an episode on Nikki, but what I'll say is that this episode is really on Nikki, so like it's not, but I feel like Nikki and her journey in hip hop really, really evidences some issues in our culture that I wanted to address directly, right? So the first clip was of MC Light talking about Nicki being influenced, how everyone was influenced by pop in that generation, in that era, um, but felt like they couldn't, as black female rappers, you know, integrate that into their music. Then Nicki, and the second one was Nicki on Hot 97. I recommend that interview because it's just funny. Like, she clears Rosenberg, buries him. It's amazing. Um, but she say, she say, oh, I didn't find you smart. I didn't find you funny. I just found you annoying. And I didn't know you. Like, it was great. It's worth, it's worth it. It's funny. Um, but she talks more about that. And I put that as a second clip. What made me, so this episode is going to be like a journey. It's going to be really charting the way that I've thought about this. So the first thing I say is not really the idea. It's like you got to get to the end to get to what I mean or what I intend. When the other day on Instagram, I saw something on the For Harriet page. I really recommend that page. I like the content, or at least I like the intention behind the content. I think it's well thought out. I think it's a good place to, you know, I would support the platform. So go check out for Harry. I think um, the host is Kim Foster. She's great. She's thoughtful. She's like, check her out. She has a video that's about 20 minutes long about WAP. And I've talked about WAP on the podcast prior. It was, you know, the Cardi B song with Megan, who I love to death. Um, And essentially, she was talking about the spectacle of sexual liberation, which I think is important to discuss, right? And it's not necessarily, like, I don't want to get into that right now, but she goes into, you know, she goes into the digestion of the spectacle or the consumption of the spectacle in lieu of what she would describe as actual liberation. Under that post, I wrote something, two things, but I'm only going to go into the second one right now about 
something that she said in the video. She said that black female performers, black women performers, um, in hip-hop particularly, have to fit one lane. They have to be sexualized in order to get main, in order to get mainstream success. And I thought about Nikki, and I thought about the complexity. I mean, obviously, when she started out, her name was created by, I think, Fendi. So the Minaj was added. The, the overt sexualization was, was uh, obvious. And in her collaboration, like, she did Freaky Girl with Kim. She did... Um, slumber party like these records that i love that are sexual but then when she got into mainstream like her image was not you know she was wacky she was playful you know leopard print wigs lyrics that weren't really overtly sexual like you know talked about her liking guys like in super bass but in your love but it really wasn't like her pussies like you know all over the place and not that I have a problem with that, because you know I love I love that. But that wasn't what she gave initially. And when you think about her first record, who I don't remember the singles. I think Your Love was a single, Right Through Me was a single, Super Bass, Did It On Them. These aren't sexually explicit records. Um... Even in her second album, like Freedom, Bees in the Trap had was the video was sexual, but the song isn't. Uh, Starships. When she released these records and when she went pop, the community, the black community, criticized her. The hip hop community criticized her. We pulled the authenticity card on her. We pulled the, you got to fit a certain criteria to be considered real, to be considered a representative of the culture, despite being, of the, despite being clearly of the culture. We held her to this standard. And that, I don't know what she would say, but from my reading of it, it definitely changed her perspective and how she went about into her third and fourth albums. When I first thought of this, I was like, well, this is not white supremacy. It didn't appear at first glance to be white supremacy because white little girls were rapping super bass on Ellen. White people were consuming the fuck out of Nikki's music. White women were going up for these records. We, and obviously the gays, the black, we, we, we liked her being playful. The gays, uh, gays allow... Black women to be playful and funny and sexy and serious and whatever. It's really straight men and to a large extent cis straight women that are like, this is not what we need, what we want black women to be doing. This wacky, playful shit, this pop shit. We need a hard bitch rapping, rapping with the niggas. And, you know... When I thought of it initially, and I was like, this is not white supremacy, I, upon reflection and second, you know, a second passing of thought, realized that in some ways it is, right? Because I would describe this as black conservatism. I would describe a dutiful, unrelenting respect 
or adherence to a code, a tradition as conservatism, despite the problems or troubled origins of such traditions, I would describe that as conservatism. And sometimes in my journey, and I have not figured this out, which is why I'm kind of talking about it now to help me, is I don't know what to do with tradition in some ways because it is important when your culture is confidently, is constantly, sorry, when your culture is constantly um, infiltrated, when it's constantly commodified, when it's constantly stolen from you, there is a need to have some kind of authenticity test. I mean, we just saw last week, I don't know her name, but I saw the post had like a pigment of your imagination, like this white woman who was pretending to be like Afro-Puerto Rican or some shit and was an Africana studies professor at GW. And the fact that she's able to get this off, I mean, granted, it's built Colorism allowed her to do that, but not, and that's something that we have to check. But there is, there is a need for some kind of check or some kind of authenticity, something, because people stay dolazalin and trying to move in here and take our shit. And for a long time, it's like when you sometimes you have Elvises, and I don't really know the origin of Elvis. I don't want to get to lying. So what I mean, what I should say is, sometimes you have people that copy from afar, that see what black people are doing, and they study it. They build out music theory. They get their, you know, they they use their theory, their their science, and study from afar and take and duplicate and fail to give credit. Sometimes you have that, but a lot of times you have people that, out of kindness and generosity, black people. Native people allowed to come to the cookout, come to the show, come behind the scenes, you know, come to church, come to this, come to that, come to the table to eat. Sometimes we invite them and then they steal, at the very least, steal, enslave, murder, you know, etc. So there is a need for authenticity. And I mean, as a New Yorker, I've, I have found, so I, I, I really can't speak to everywhere in the States, even though I feel like it's true. I mean, I feel like it's true in my experience of black people is that there is a, there is an unspoken criteria of like blackness. And sometimes that criteria makes folks that, you know, come from, or maybe like a, a criteria or an attitude, an attitude about what's real, who's real, who's fake. Like being fake in black culture is really like somebody, you know, you a weak, like you trash. If somebody calls you fake, like it's not a good look for you. And that is something that for us is really important. And I think sometimes our criteria our respect our you know deference to uh, to this attitude 
is oppressive to people that might not for some reason pass it, but otherwise should be included. So, you know, there are people that are black, but like, you know, goth, you know, or a punk or come from biracial families or grew up in an all white neighborhood and are made to feel like they're not part, like they can't come to the cookout. And I remember being when when I was young, like the like the Spanish or like the Spanish girls were allowed to be goth. The Spanish girls were allowed to, you know, do that. The Spanish boys were allowed to do that. But if you were black, no, no, no. They let them play their evanescence. Let them, you know, dye, paint their nails and dye their hair black. But if you were black, you could not play like that. You know, and it's just like we were not allowed to do things that were, you know seen as white but are just phases for some people that are just you know ex- modes of expression ways of expressing yourself and articulating your style but a lot of the black conservatist attitude does not allow for that and i'm speaking broadly when i say conservative like on an attitudinal level i'm not speaking about like electoral politics even though you know, I listened to Nas's album. I talked about it before, and he mentions like destruction of the black family, which obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but clearly, slavery as an institution invested in and profited from this. Clearly, we. I mean, it's not. It's obviously something that white supremacy has designed, right? But, but that idea is an idea that ideologically fits under a conserv- a general conservative agenda. Like a general, like if you were to ask Republicans what the problem is, like, you know, ask them for some of their ideological platforms, one of them, well, back in, I don't who knows what they're doing now because Trump, But traditionally, protecting and preserving the family, the American family, giving agency to families, taking agency from the government, empowering families, is something that, on paper, um, the Republican Party and just the right in general tends to support, which is kind of why, anyway, I mean, you know, whatever. We don't want to get into what the GOP's doings or whatever. So when you hear this from Nas, it's clearly conservative because what he's defining as family is not a single mom and her child. You know, he's not, that's not what he's defining as family when he says preserve the black family. Implicit is at at. At the kindest, at its most progressive, he's talking about a two-parent household. At its most progressive, I would add an assumption of heterosexual pairing. Right? I mean, I, I would assume. But, you know, let's be charitable to Nas. And when everyone speaks about progeny, reproduction, legacy, 
from a conservative bent, they're implying heterosexual patriarchy. They're not naming it. But when you focus explicitly on reproduction and family, particularly with the attitude that we know exists in black conservatism and just black, you know, and I shouldn't say in black culture, I should say in the in the black American culture that is that is uh, broadcast, that is popularized. Because it isn't always the case that in the hood, for example, black gays are bullied and, you know, treated like shit. There are hood communities that uplift the gays. You know, maybe not, uplift might be a stretch, but that aren't out here, you know, hurting gay people. There are hood, there, I mean, you know, there are. So, but what the community, the culture that's popularized, the culture that is, you know, sold, commodified and sold, is a culture that is built on a white supremacist view of hyper-masculinity that itself is a response to white supremacy. That's a response to, you know, the, what was it, emasculation, I guess would be the word, the emasculation of man, of black man. So we've overcompensated with this hyper-masculinity. When you add capitalism, American consumerism, all of these things, we package it and sell it to, sell it domestically and globally. And then when you mount this like, this hip hop culture that in some ways is started out as progressive, it's progressive in that it's, anarchist and in that it is fighting for power it's revolutionary but the some of the views the actual elements in the manifesto are built on conservative ideas or traditional ideas that in themselves, as American black tradition, is reactionary. I mean, I shouldn't say it. It's obviously not. I don't want to reduce it to reactionary, but that's what I was saying about, um, about hyper-masculinity. And not only is it reactionary, hyper-masculinity as a concept, or black hyper-masculinity, but it's also a weird adoption of a white stereotype against black people, right? So black, white, you know, the whole big dicks and hyper-masculine, brutish view on black men as described by white men during, you know, colonial times. That characterization was just adopted and dressed as sexy through a hyper-masculinity of black men. Um, and it's crazy. Like, it's not progressive. It's not, it's none of the things that people make it seem. So when I started to think about 
black conservatism as both a political ideology and an attitude. And what it did to someone like a Nikki. But really what it does every day. You know, what patriarchy does every day. And I didn't just conflate patriarchy and black conservatism. To me, they are, a, they are very much, they're hand in hand. What it does when it makes people feel of all genders, of all sexualities, that you can be delegitimized, that this aspect of your culture, of your self-esteem, can be taken from you if you don't fit these codes. Meanwhile, you've spent a lot of time and effort and healing to... Love this aspect of yourself. To identify in a healthy way with your blackness. To love your color. To love everything despite the, despite the white supremacist world. Despite the fear. Despite the danger that is real. You love yourself. You love your community. You love your people. But now you're failing to pass the black test. Now your black card is being revoked. Now you're not now your own people are not buying your records and this this is not about cancel culture this is really about our ways of delegitimizing each other through a black conservative lens and when you do that enough when you attack someone enough you attack a Nikki enough and they bend to survive. And I'm not saying she bent. You know, I mean, she came out with a pop record on her third album, but her fourth album only had like one. It had a pop record on there too, though. So I don't know. I don't know how she would characterize her bending. But when they do that, you create. A culture now where black where people that come after feel like this is the way to success. You know, you've had Cardi said that nobody there are conscious female rappers and nobody buys their records, and she's not wrong about that. That is a fact. I think so to be lucrative because that is her. That is why she's doing this. She's not doing it for the love. You know, to be lucrative, she makes pussy records and she loves her pussy so it's easy for her to rap about the rap about it and then you get all then you get black conservative patriarchy again coming and critiquing her even through the even through women's mouths about this but what did you do when you had an alternative what did you do when you had a, a, a female rapper who was, not, who was rapping about boys and about just lovey-dovey shit and being on the beach and, and partying on the beach and making David, David Guetta records and, you know, making like, you know, what, what did you do when you had that? You treated her like shit. You made her feel like she didn't count. 
saying that she's not this, she's not that, she's not, you know, you were, you were taking her identity and her, her credentials away from her at every turn. Despite the homage she paid and the legacy that she acknowledged, the tradition that she acknowledged, And now you have a reductive art form, largely, which I don't even know if that's the case, but the, 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 the criticism is that it's reductive. The, the mainstream version of female rap is reductive. And if that's true, it's your, it's your fault. It's your fault. But I do understand conservatism because the truth about conservatism as an ideology is that it's a survival response. You know, the truth is people are conservative when they feel that they are being extinguished, when they feel a survival threat, when they've experienced collective trauma and they've experienced, you know, when, when their whole community has been under attack or they perceive it as such, they adopt a conservative mindset. So I get it, this fear of being extinct, this reaction to intergenerational trauma, the real oppression that is faced, and that is faced every day and then confirms, reifies that same trauma. I get it. But it's like, in order to, first, we have to, as a community, I shouldn't say all of us have to decide. That's not true. But I think the first step is acknowledging that it comes from a hurt place. That this tearing down and this like prescription, I mean, I've done that. And I'll just speak personally for me. You know, I have a lot of integrity, even though, like, I'm going through some shit right now, but I have a lot of integrity, and I have, but I have made a shit ton of mistakes. I've done some fucked up shit. However, I shepherd and protect my culture, both black and queer. It's important to me that, my, that, that we can make a living off of our own culture, that we are not ex that we're not exporting. Like when I watch, I did not watch the whole video of Pop Star with Drake. I did not watch it. I just saw the clips. But when I saw the clips, I get that it's funny. I get that Justin Bieber's cute or has cute to people. You know, he's got that like twink look for me, so it's you know it's not really my thing. But he got you know whatever. But to me, it's exporting an aesthetic. Right, it's exporting the aesthetic. It's playing dress up, and it's fine for Justin Bieber, I guess, because he's rich and Jake's rich, and this is fine and good. They all have money, so they don't, you know, it is what it is. But I think what often happens with less popular artists is that you'll give this aesthetic to a white body, and then Capitalism will say that this white body with this black aesthetic is more valuable than a black body who originated the aesthetic. And that market opportunity is then lost to black people, to the originators. And then you have black conservatism 
that holds that same black originator to a higher standard than they would hold a white artist or a white body in the same role. When Iggy Azalea came out and made a, a, a record like her record and T.I. backed her, there were some snickers, but nowhere near the, the attack and the vitriol that you saw when Nicki came out and made a pop record. This black conservatism, this adherence to this, these standards, would be, it would be one thing if it applied to every human being. But often what you see through capitalism, through internalized anti-black sentiment, is that when a white body comes in and mimics the aesthetic, we give them everything they want. We give them all the things. They come in and perform at a level that is at best imitation. It's like imitation vanilla. And not always. Sometimes you have some real white talent. Like, I'm not, you know, out here doing that. But the standards aren't even applied to black, to white people, really. And we're fine with giving this aesthetic and letting them come in. And it wasn't always this way, like, particularly in hip-hop. Like, if you were, Eminem had to be, I mean, there were white rappers before Eminem. But that got that real, like, respect, respect, respect. You had to be amazing. Amazing. But white rappers were trash and got a bag. They got a bag. They got a pop bag. And I'm sure people bought these records. Like, I'm sure black people bought these records. It's like a fetish. It's like we... Somehow black conservatism lives right next to a fetishization of white bodies occupying a black aesthetic. Somehow the, I, somehow they live together, you know, which to me is amazing. To me, it's like, it's something that I don't understand when I see it, but it happens. Like Kanye and Kim, yes, there are problems there outside of that, but it's not just Kanye. It's Ray J, it's... Reggie, who I used to be obsessed. Child. Back in the day. <laughs> Whew. I need a moment. I used to be, like, I mean, <laughs> I just, Lord, Lord Jesus. Um, and it's not just Kim. It's a lot of them. I don't know them all. Jules, or I don't know the, I don't know the girls, but. But these be the same people that are pro-black and want black family and want black success. I mean, Kanye has spoken at length about things that, although he says a lot of wild shit, you know, throughout his career, he has spoken about, he has spoken in favor of black, equi equitable black access to capitalism, um, which is not progressive in a real sense, but it is equity in a poisonous, you know, it's like giving everybody cyanide, you know, but it's, it's, it's something. Um, he has done that. 
He has done that. But he is still in love with, he is fetishized, eroticized, like, lifted up white bodies and black aesthetics and that's what that's what we have done but yet we want to be oh you gotta do this just to be a real rapper you gotta do this this to be a real this you gotta to be black you gotta have a black mom and then you gotta have like a black wife and you gotta like to do all like it's just like a lot it's a lot it's a lot and it doesn't make sense um so I would just say that to start off, like as a community, we need to realize that it comes from trauma and we need to heal that trauma. And we need, I mean, and I don't think all conservative conservatism is bad. So I'm not saying that like every idea that conservatives have ever thought up is, is, is you know, trash. But I'm saying like, it's important to know what you're doing and it's important to characterize revolution accurately. So if you want the revolution to be progressive, if you're if you want the revolution to be, you know, inclusive, then you should be specific about your intention. So if we are doing if we're adopting, if we're using black conservatism as the impetus for our revolution, then we can't expect it to be inclusive and progressive at the end of it. We can't expect patriarchy to vanish when black conservatism is the is the driver behind the movement. Like we can't expect internalized anti-blackness to vanish when black conservatism is the root of the movement. Black conservatism is born out of anti-blackness. So when not all of it, but a lot of it. A lot of these tenets, a lot of like when we say hotep, when we talk about this, this is a reaction to anti-blackness. And unfortunately, when you react to something, you do take you you, t- you take a bit of it, you know, to to derive your to derive your opposition. You have some of it in your in your composition. You take a bit on in order to react in a way that makes sense. You know, reaction is part imitation it's part adoption you know it's in it's innovation on top of that so when you see this type of thing in the ideology that's supposed to inspire a movement you can't expect at the end of it for everybody to be represented you can't expect it to be forward moving, right? It's not going to be forward moving. It might have short term effects that look like it's forward moving. And this is not to disrespect my elders. I think my elders have done amazing revolutionary work. But under this analysis that I am saying now, it's not surprising that some of the conservative ideologies that spurred the civil rights movements of the 60s resulted in short-term in short-term successes in short-term jumps in any in, in or short-term um i guess bridges or minimizings of inequality. And again, not to disrespect them, 
because I respect them wholeheartedly. And it's not just that, that, you know, it's also white backlash. It's also, et cetera. And there have been some progress, some measures of progress, you know, so it's not the case. Like I, I, in a lot of ways, represent progress. So, you know, not to be demeaning, but when you use black conservatism in this way, it's like, how can I be surprised that I am still excluded from a lot of movements? How can I be surprised that trans folks are excluded from movements? How can I be surprised that in Black Lives Matter protests, there are black trans women being assaulted? How can I be surprised? You know, when, and I'm not saying Black Lives Matter is conservative, but the movements, a lot of the ideologies that respond and dress themselves up as revolution are conservative and by definition are not inclusive. Um, yeah. I do, I, I thought about going into something personal this episode. We're already 40 minutes in, so I, you know, I do think I might end it here. But... There are some things that I want to get into, personal things. So next episode, I will do that. Um, I'm a, I might go out tonight. I mean, I'm not. I'm not, but I like to say it. I like to speak it and act like my, my life is still popping. Act like we're still out here. Act like this is no corona summer. Um, but it's this of a pandemic, so I'm saying mass in house. Um, but I do feel good. Um, but yeah, I love you all. Thank you again for supporting me. This is episode 61 of the Black.